Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Hey, happy 4th of July weekend to you. It's Monday, July 3rd, the day before 4th of July, and hopefully you've had a good set of celebrations at your club. We had a huge fireworks display at mine and a wonderful time for the kids, all kinds of bounce houses and activities. They even had a zip line this year, which was pretty fantastic. My kids were a little too young for that. I was dying to do it myself, but just didn't get the opportunity. The line was too long. It was Everyone was having fun doing it. Well, we have a fantastic episode for you here today. We are talking all about boards and board dynamics. So we're first going to be joined by a couple of board members from the Concert Golf family, Megan Putnam of Heathrow Country Club in Orlando and Jody Myers at McGregor Downs in Raleigh, North Carolina. We'll be chatting with Peter Nanula of Concert Golf Partners and talking about what happened over at those clubs. And before that happens, we'll be chatting with Norm Spitzig, fresh from his trip to Columbia. And him and Greg Patterson were giving an educational presentation down there. We talk about some of the differences and similarities of the Colombian clubs to our clubs here in the United States, as well as talk about some of Norm's thoughts on board governance and what makes a board really sing when you're talking about getting 12 or so like-minded people together, what is involved in making that happen and making that function properly with the right dynamics. So great episode for you there. A couple industry announcements that I wanted to make that I saw interesting came across my desk in the last month or so. First off, a former guest of this show, Eddie Bullock, back on PCR number 61, episode 61, if you remember that, we chatted with Eddie over in the UK. Eddie's now the president. He was named president at the Golf at Goodwood, and I wanted to congratulate Eddie on that. It's a wonderful club in the top three of my bucket list right now that I want to visit. So I wanted to give Eddie a shout out here on Private Club Radio and a big congratulations for his new term as president of the club. Very cool there. Another announcement I wanted to make was a piece of news that I saw come through the McMahon group. I get email blasts and email communications from all sorts of industry leaders. And of course, McMahon does a lot of research and surveys. And they recently conducted a survey on security. And I just wanted to give you some of those updates. So what McMahon did is they surveyed about 300 and it looks like 70, 370 club executives about security at their club. And they asked them a series of questions. And I thought the results were pretty remarkable. So I'm just going to kind of read these off for you. 99% of club managers and executives believe that their club is safe and secure environment for their members. The average security budget at private clubs was $75,300 per year. 70% of clubs had a surveillance system. 60% of clubs have reported some sort of incident that required security. Uh, I thought that was interesting. That's that's a pretty high number, but we talk about trespassers, car break-ins, vandalisms. That happened at 60% of the clubs that were surveyed here. 
Here's a couple numbers I was a little shocked at. Only 41% of clubs have conducted a vulnerability assessment within the last year. So this is to check and see whether your club is vulnerable to attacks, both physical attacks and cyber attacks. And 63% of club executives believed that they were vulnerable to a cybersecurity breach. And that is scary when you think about the amount of member data being stored in our clubs. And I just think that's a huge opportunity, obviously. If you haven't done something like that, I would really encourage you to have that type of security assessment done at your club and to, if you believe that you're vulnerable, fix those breaches. We spoke just a few episodes ago with Naeem Hamdar of Card Connect about how his system can keep the personal and private information of your members safe and secure in terms of the credit card transaction, why that's so important. So if you haven't heard that episode, go back and listen to that one. But uh, would just, again, definitely recommend you do an assessment of your own security or club security because we're all throwing these huge events. And I was thinking about it because we probably had, I don't know, at least three or 4,000 people at the country club over Saturday when we had the fireworks display. And I was just thinking, you know, man, what an opportunity that is for risks and things happening. And I'm sure that my club had it under control. I do know that there were some police officers even on the scene, but that is just a huge opportunity. And those opportunities exist in our clubs all the time. So I don't want to be a fear monger or have you sweating over there, but it's something that we all need to look at as clubs, I believe, because it's a different world out there. Times have changed, unfortunately, and uh, not we're not all behind gates. And so even if you are behind a gate, that doesn't necessarily protect you. But I digress. <laughs> Get a security assessment done. That's the point of this. Thanks, McMahon, for putting out that research. Much appreciated. All right. It's time to bring you this month's edition of Masterclass. And now it's time for your monthly masterclass presented by Master Club Advisors. Well, welcome to another edition of Masterclass presented by Master Club Advisors. This month I'm joined by Norm Spitzig. Norm, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks as always for having me, Gabe. Yeah, and you just came back from Columbia. You took a trip to Columbia with Greg Patterson. Love for you to tell folks about what happened down there, Norm. I did. It was really an exciting trip. Uh, to give you a little history, 11 years ago, I think that's right, 11 or 12 years ago, I was the first person from the United States to be invited to speak in Columbia. And I must admit, 11 years ago when I went, I went with, went with some trepidation. I sure. was, <laughs> crossed my mind that I might get uh, you know, kidnapped and all those crazy things that pass through your brain. And that trip was right. really pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Greg followed me two or three and the next thing you know, um, we got asked to go to, to have kind of our uh, uh, dual show to go back down there. And we went uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was fantastic. It really was. That's awesome. How many how many clubs were in attendance and were they coming from just Columbia or from other parts of South America as well? Uh, other, other parts of South America. We had a mix of board members and general managers. We had a few kind of um, mid-level management there, but mainly GMs and board mm-hmm. members. Yeah. Uh, the mo- majority were from Colombia, all the big cities in, in uh, Colombia. We were in Bogota. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also had people uh, from uh, Ecuador. We had people from uh, Peru. We had people from uh, Argentina. 
nice. and a couple other places. So it was really a, a mix of people. It, it was great. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. So what kind of stuff were you guys discussing? I, I think it was probably uh, related to board and governance and things. Tell me about the stuff you and Greg covered. Well, it was great. Greg and I have this kind of uh, dueling show where he talks, I talk. We tend to interact with each other. We have a lot, lot we try to get a lot of in- interaction. And our topic is called Life Lessons from the Wonderful World of Private Clubs. And we nice. set it up this way that Greg and I are, are geezers, at least by age-wise compared, maybe not the way we think, but age-wise <laughs> compared to most of the attendees. And we have like this list of lessons that we think we've learned about life and are they applicable to clubs um, and how to make your operation better. At the end of the day, obviously, people want to come and learn how to make their operation better. So we talked, uh, just to give you a little uh, sort of background, which I think is pretty interesting. When I go to these, I think good speakers, you know, you speak to a lot of groups. I think there's always this little nerves go through you. Will my message resonate well? Will people understand? Will will this be meaningful, especially going to a different country? Yeah, especially a foreign audience, yeah. Yeah, and especially when most of the attendees did not speak fluent enough English to listen to us in English. Almost everybody spoke a little English. But um, so we had a translator in the back where people were wearing headphones. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you go through the translator issue, you never really know if it would go well. So there's always this little trepidation. But I will tell you, we didn't have any of that. Greg and I were, we got a great ovation. We talked about things that resonated well here in the U.S., but we're not sure if they resonate. Anyway, we talked about strategic planning, membership development, food and beverage. The big, big topic was how do we get boards to understand their role is to think strategically, to govern, and to get out of the day-to-day operation. Of course, Greg and I looked at each other and smiled because that's something that's really near and dear to our heart, and it's obviously something and an issue that permeates clubs here in the U.S. So when we yeah. got to that, the whole room went up two more notches in terms of interest. It was it was fantastic. Nice. Did you find that the, the problems are similar down there that we have here in other parts of the world as well? Yeah, I think so, and and that's what I was trying to say, and I maybe I didn't state it as eloquently as I should, but yes, the problems are the same. Members and directors wanted to understand what do we need to do to get more members. We need more members so that we have a vibrant and a, a number of people. We have a vibrant club, and we have enough people so that we're financially viable. How can we improve our food and beverage service? Uh, how how can we attract and retain quality staff? How can we get out in the neighborhood what the club, our club is really about and deal with some misperceptions? Uh, we went to one club called uh, Guaycama, I think, but if I botched it wrong, I'm sorry. It was outside of Bogota. It was generally viewed as sort of one of the two really premier clubs in the area. And this club had the most modern state-of-the-art food and beverage order and delivery system I've ever seen. It, it was as good as any club I've seen anywhere in the world. The Bellagio would be proud to have it. Yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. Wow. So same same issues, though. Same issues. And, you know, all that does when you're a speaker is really engage you to, to get involved further. And Greg and I obviously both did. So it was fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, let's talk about some of those uh, governance issues that you're seeing out there and the trends that are happening out there in the, in private clubs, not only in, in the United States, but down there in South America. What are some of those uh, trends that you're seeing happening? Okay, well, that, 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 as I said, was really sort of the focus point. We spent day two, basically, we thought we were going to spend an hour on this, and we spent the whole morning basically talking about some of the trends with lots and lots of interaction, both 
for and against each of the trends we talked about. Let me give you a couple of them. We can kind of explore as, as time permits. But generally speaking, in using the data also from club benchmarking to corroborate the anecdotal evidence that I have and what Greg has, is that you're seeing smaller sized boards of directors. That the number, according to club benchmarking, the last decade has gone from 11 point something to nine point something. Wow. So that, you know, that's a drop of two directors. I think that's for a lot of reasons. One, I think when people are going to serve on a board of directors, they ask a lot more questions than before. They want to understand the extent of their responsibilities. They want to know that if they're going to participate, that it's meaningful. They don't want to waste their time. They have other things to do. And so I think it's harder to get people to serve on boards. And so practically, I think that's one of the reasons why people have reduced the size. Mm -hmm. But also, I think they don't want the meetings to be unwieldy. I think they want to have a focus group of leaders who really are trying to do the right thing for the club and not waste their time. That was really interesting because that trend also was permeating the clubs in South America. And we had president and manager after manager stand up and say, hey, we're doing the same issue in our club. Uh, I think that actually bodes well for private clubs, that we, that the days of them just being a bunch of good old boys sitting around the table and having a couple of drinks before they go home and talking about, you know, the golf course and then going home have kind of faded way into the past. Yeah. So that was, a, that was really a big issue. Um, same thing for committees, that the number of committees uh, the number of people on committees has also decreased, and the number of committees that clubs have increased. So clubs have said, "Look, maybe we really don't need to have a you know assistant pool or you know an associate pool towel committee meeting." And I'm just <laughs> maybe we really don't have to have a whole committee talk about that. Let's hire a good manager who can do these things, and let's talk about the important things. You know, membership development and you know, financial, the, the budget committee and the, the, the key kind of things that we need. Um, so th that was really a hot button for a lot of people, too. So, you know, yeah. the more Greg and I talked, the more we got into debate. I'll tell you one that was really interesting, though. Greg is is a firm, firm believer in the importance of club committees. Mm -hmm. And I am, too. But he his hot button, and he'll tell you this, is that the more that he can interact with committees, the better. And I kind of took the opposite side and, said, look, side and said, look, you know, I like committees too, and they have a useful function, but I have seen a lot of clubs where you have weak GMs and committees have kind of taken over the day and are starting to get into operations way beyond the scope and can of what committees should do in clubs. And that that was probably the single issue that ignited the crowd. We had presidents stand up and say, you're right, we've got committees micromanaging. And then Greg would talk about the importance of committees, and I would agree with the president. It was it was really a hot-button issue, but I, yeah. but I think it is an issue in the U.S. clubs, too. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Now, uh, terms is another thing that's, that, that's uh, they're really being expanded and instead of contracted. Can you talk about that a little bit, Norm? We, we we did, and I think this is a trend that I'm I'm certainly seeing it. One of the clubs that I'm working with now has a a president for two years as opposed to one year. Mm -hmm. If you can find the right person at your club who's willing and able to participate for two years as a president, I think you're going to have a better chance of avoiding the blips that come with this sort of short-term one-year president who wants to cram his agenda with all the things that are important to him. And that right. sounds, and obviously, a lot of presidents don't do that. They want to do the right thing. Sure. But giving you two years has a lot more uh, calming effect that we don't need to rush everything through. We can really focus on governance. Let me give you two extremes. 
Um, one of my favorites is the New Orleans Country Club, where Bobby Crafasi is the GM. Bobby's a great friend of mine and a, a really top GM, really highly respected. I'll get this perhaps wrong, but conceptually, I know I'm close. They have roughly nine members on their board, and they appoint one new person a year. So you basically will serve for nine years. Mm-hmm. So think about that. By the time you get to be president at the end of, of your tenure, you've been through a lot of the committees. You understand the history of the club. You're not inclined to go in and make any sudden changes or do anything dumb. I think that's right. a really good model if you could adopt it. Yeah. There's a club I work with in South Florida that had 12 people on the board. This is several years ago, and they had six new members of the board every year. Think about wow. that governance. Yeah. I mean, just the opposite, chaos. You know, raining. So. <laughs> right. Did so they all they, turn over at the same time, or was it staggered? No, they did. Six, six wow. came on and six went off. So yeah. you know, they had the the new uh, group fighting the old group. <laughs> so mm-hmm. That's not the way to be. Have you seen but any that, cases out there, Norm, where they stagger it, where maybe like half the board or a quarter of the board turns over? Uh, you know, that way there's not not this huge turnover all at once. Does that happen? I I would say the most common model, probably not the majority, but certainly the significant major- minority of clubs have nine people on the board and they turn over three a year. That mm-hmm. model's fine. It really is. I think that's pretty good. The nine seems to be a workable number. Three years on the board is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Most clubs give you the option to opt for a second term. So you've got six consecutive years. That's pretty good for tenure. Yeah. Usually the president emerges during his or her second uh, term on the board. That model's pretty good, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But there were a lot who don't have that. There are mm-hmm. a lot who have this screwy model. Sure. So. How often do you think the board should be meeting, or what are the, what's the trend there? Uh, trend is interesting. Again, it's a, it's a, it's certainly not an avalanche, but you're seeing little snippets of this occurring at more and more clubs. Clubs are saying, "Look, do we really need to meet every month on the second Tuesday of the month just because for the last seventy years we've always done that? Right. Maybe we could go back to quarterly meetings. <laughs> if we have a good GM, maybe we don't need to meet." Even when I ran Fort Wayne Country Club 30 years ago, we had uh, 10 or 11 meetings a year. We took off in the month of February. I'd like to say that's because we were smart. I think it's because everybody was in Florida at the time. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, but that was an example of a club maybe just kind of beginning to say, let's not force everybody to meet because we really don't need to meet. That's a mm-hmm. slow month of the year. Let's not do it. So yeah. I'm seeing clubs go to quarterly meetings. I'm seeing committees go to quarterly meetings or even as-needed meetings. It's not that they're an ad hoc committee, but let's not meet every month for the House Committee if we don't have anything to talk about. We're just going to rehash. Now, when I say that, you should see the fire come out of Greg's eyes. Oh, I want to meet every month. He he loves those committees, and I do too, to a point. Mm -hmm. But there's no need, in my opinion, to be an effective club in terms of governance to meet for the sake of meetings. Uh, People are having action agendas today. That means we meet you are required as a director to read the minutes from all the committee meetings in advance. We do not rehash your committee report. You don't even bring it up. You bring up the action items that you recommended the board approve, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So you have the meetings, and they take 45 minutes or an hour. If you can do that, you're doing some yeah. good things. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. How about succession planning? Let's talk about that. What's going on there in terms of trends with boards? up it was kind of a secondary issue i see some clubs especially the really bigger clubs where you can afford a a strong number two are saying look we want to hire a strong number two who can take over you know we have bob stoops who just left oklahoma football after 18 years if you heard that today but Mm -hmm. his 
successor was appointed immediately, who was the succession planning guy who they hired last year. I think he was the offensive coordinator. I'm not sure what he was, mm-hmm. but uh, it was a 33 year old guy, you know, who was hired specifically with the idea of being the guy to take over. Um, you know, that's that's great in football. If you could do it in your club, that'd be fantastic. A lot of clubs honestly don't have the resources or the number two guy or gal is really someone maybe who's been there a long time is really good maybe say in the clubhouse or food beverage operation but maybe doesn't have the gm scope of skills to include golf and grounds and tennis and those kinds of things so mm-hmm. you know i see clubs doing it but it's it's piecemeal it's not really right. a trend i don't think yeah that's right that's right i just did do the google here it was uh his name's riley he's 33 years old he'll become the youngest head coach of any fbs level um and he was the offensive coordinator, like you said. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah. pretty cool. I heard that this morning. I didn't, I, I you know, I, I kind of admire guys who, uh, who go out on the top. He obviously, you know, had a great record in Oklahoma's had a history of some pretty good coaches. And I guess he said in his mm-hmm. late fifties, enough was enough. I kind of admire that. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty neat. That's right. That's right. All right. Normal. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for, for those questions, but I want to talk to you about obviously master club advisors and how you're helping clubs out there. Can you tell me about any projects you've got going on or, uh, any searches that are happening? Yeah, uh, I am. I've, I'm starting a new search in Arizona next week and, uh, I'd rather not say the name until the deal is a done deal, mm-hmm. but I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. I'm also just beginning a club north of New Orleans in Covington, Louisiana, just north of Lake Pontchartrain called Chifuncta Country Club, mm-hmm. a really nice club in a gated community, um, reasonably small. They've had a stable history of talented GMs. And uh, I met with them on Tuesday and I really like the people. Got nice. a great staff there, support staff, the department heads, many have been there for a long time. Uh, some are new, but just as enthusiastic, some really talented people there. The board, um, I commend them. They stepped back. They did this four or five or six years ago when the previous GM came in. They hired a guy who uh, had hotel background who they hoped would maybe elevate the food and beverage to this new level, did a good job, left of his own accord. Um, but now they really want to take a hard look at membership development, food and beverage, family focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I commend them for that because I think a lot of clubs today have really realized that if you want to attract, retain members, you've got to appeal to everybody in the, every generation. Yeah. So a big issue for them. I'm just starting to search. Um, I actually literally posted it today and it'll be a fun one because nice. I know I'll get a lot of strong applicants to Very cool. Help. How's the gumbo down there? Uh, I had it uh, in the Hilton Hotel. I stayed by the airport. Uh, it was not bad for a Hilton Hotel. Was <laughs> <laughs> it bad? I had the the gumbo before I flew out the next morning. Yep, yep, not bad. <laughs> That's awesome. What 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 do you think makes Master Club Advisors so different when it comes to executive search? Because there's a lot of choices out there, obviously. But what would you um, say would be the the main factor why someone should choose your club? Uh, How do you ask that question? Not sound self-serving. I think one thing is, is that each search is like my own personal baby for the, for me at this point, you know, we're certainly not the biggest and we're, we're kind of proud of that, that, you know, if we do a dozen search a year, searches a year, that's kind of on par for what we've done the last few years. Um, I like each one to be a personal experience to really get in there and find somebody, some guy or some gal has an emotional and physical tie to the community they're going into, uh, someone who really, you know, understands that working in the New Orleans area is different than working in Manhattan. So, someone who really 
resonates well with what the club's about so that their values match the club's values. Now, a lot of people say that. Uh, I think we do that well, and I'm kind of proud of that. We've had a long history. We've only had to use our guarantee one time in the last 17 years. Which wow. Is, that's you know, so somebody deep close. That's pretty cool. So, right. you know, each one's a personal baby for me. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing it, and, you know, that's kind of where we are. That's awesome, Norm. Well, you're an asset not only to this show and our listeners, but to the industry as a whole, and we thank you for all you're doing out there. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it, and I always enjoy this this segment, and obviously you are the same way. You and I are on the uh, docket together in Pittsburgh, aren't we, in, in October? Looking forward to it, yeah. Looking and forward to it. Me, me yep. too. All right. Cool. Well, Norma, I will see you back here in a couple months on another edition of Master Class presented by Master Club Advisors. Have a good one, Norm. Thank you, Gabe. See you. Bye. To learn more about Master Club Advisors, visit them on the web at masterclubadvisors.com and join us next month for another masterclass. And now it's time for Board Chats presented by Concert Golf Partners. A behind-the-scenes look inside real boardrooms with special guest Peter Nanula. Welcome to another edition of Board Chats presented by Concert Golf Partners where we chat with real board members of real private member equity-owned clubs out there in the world. I'm joined as always by Peter Nanula of Concert Golf Partners and today we have Megan Putnam of Heathrow Country Club in Orlando and Jody Myers at McGregor Downs Country Club in Raleigh, North Carolina. Peter, welcome to another edition of Board Chats. Hey, good to hear from you, Gabe. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for joining us again and, and bringing us this fantastic education for the private club industry out there. We haven't done one of these in, in quite some time, Peter, so it's probably best we remind folks about Concert Golf, what it is that you guys do and how you help the private club industry. Yeah, no, thanks, Gabe. We, um, we're a long-time uh, participant in the private club industry. We've got $150 million of capital that we raised from long-term patient investors. And the idea is to pay down the debt that a lot of these clubs have, invest in the capital projects that clubs always want to be doing uh, without the members having to be assessed or go into lots of debt, and then bringing our professional management team to bear to help the clubs thrive. And, you know, knock wood, but, you know, 16 clubs now and all of them, including Jody's club and Megan's club, who you'll hear from, are, are thriving. We, we always aim to get better, but uh, they're all doing extremely well compared to a lot of clubs I meet with um, every month on the road. That's awesome to hear. What are the capital improvement projects that you're seeing clubs want to undertake uh, around the country, Peter? What are the big ones that you're seeing? Yeah, you know, it goes in phases. Um, uh, I'd love to hear what Megan and Jody have to say in a minute. But, you know, there was a time when expanding and renovating the fitness was a was a very common theme. And I think it still is. But I think most clubs have done that. Uh, we see a lot of focus on outdoor dining. So a lot of people want to be able to, I guess, live that California lifestyle that I live, but uh, have some out, outdoor dining aspect to their club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so at, at McGregor Downs uh, in Raleigh, we recently added a 19th hole pavilion, which is a covered outdoor kind of space. It's got heat lamps, it's got fans, it's got TVs, but you can watch people coming up the 18th. And you can have a drink, you can have a meal, and it's just a nice way to enjoy uh, friends at the club. Mm-hmm. That's a trend we see. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to go ahead and bring Megan and Jody onto the program here. 
I think this is a really special opportunity because we're speaking with two ladies for the first time on this segment. And often, of, of course, boards seem to be dominated by a lot of men out there. And it's great to get a, the, the opinion of some, some strong women leaders out there in the industry. So I'm joined first by Megan, who is a board member at Heathrow since 2011, actually. Um, and she leads the member advisory board and works closely with Concert Golf Partners. She's also, I believe, a, uh, a member at the Amelia Island Club. So, Megan, welcome to, to Private Club Radio. Thank you, Gabe. Yeah. And then we've got uh, Jody here, who is a board member at McGregor Downs Country Club in Raleigh. She's a business owner, and uh, she's very involved in board decision process, and she was very involved in the recapitalization project that happened with Concert Golf Partners. So, Ladies, first question for you. Often we think of the board situation as 12 angry men sitting around. It's, it's a boys club, but those times are changing. So I just want to first ask you, what has been your take and what's been your experience as a woman in the boardroom? Well, it's been fantastic. And I participated um, on some committees prior to the concert acquisition. And I have seen it trend so positively over the past few years. I am one of four board members currently on our advisory board, and we are treated with great respect, and they highly value our input, um, especially on the family piece of our club. I mean, we have really transitioned from a men's golf facility with um, a couple of side projects, you know, kind of to appease the families, and we... Everything about our club is family-centric. Our golf course is the best it has ever been in the history of Gregor Downs, period. And that's all attributed to concerts. Um, so that has been fantastic. And that keeps all the men and the lady golfers very happy. But on top of that, we have a tremendous youth golf program. Um, we have activities and camps and facilities new playground. As Peter mentioned, our 19th hole, our covered patio, it is packed all the time. Um, so nice. it has been fantastic. So as a member on the board, they very much value what we have to say and listen to our opinion and take action on it. So it's been my pleasure. Well, that's awesome. That is awesome. Megan, I want to turn it over to you. Can you give me an overview of your club and what your experience has been sitting on the board there at Heathrow? Sure. Um, you know, I echo much of what Jody said. I think that uh, being on the war board, um, it's uh, we, we get uh, an opportunity at Heathrow to sort of hand select who those board members are. And having sat on boards previously, uh, to concert at Heathrow, um, there was nowhere to go but up. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, it was a relatively low bar um, uh, in terms of getting involved. And uh, the latitude that concert gave us, as well as um, uh, Peter's uh, COO, Susan Donovan, was to just take it, run with it, keep it organized, and make sure that you focus on the right things for the members at the right time, all aligned with what uh, concert's goals are for the club. Uh, etc. So um, my participation, I would tell you, was met um, very well. I mean, I tend to, I'm an avid golfer. I play tennis out there as well. So I know tons of members um, and play with lots of the guys on the weekends. And uh, 
you know, given that we selected people who we knew would be uh, terrific board members and uh, relatively aligned with our mission and objectives, that's that's all going just really, I can't say enough about it. And every time I talk to a potential um, club uh, in Peter's portfolio, that's one of the things that gets discussed a lot. How does it operate and how and why is it successful? So uh, we talk about a variety of topics. Um, you know, operating issues that are encountered by the management team, as well as priorities for uh, capital improvement at the club. So when you go back with that to the members and tell them what you've talked about, why you've talked about it, and what you're going to do about it, um, everybody just kind of nods their head and says, well, yeah, those are the right things. I agree with that. Um, And let's just move on. So from a board perspective, uh, nothing but positive uh, on that front. Um, in terms of uh, Heathrow, uh, before and after concert, I mean, <laughs> Heathrow was a big hot mess before a concert got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and rather than delving into all of the reasons why, other than owned by perhaps the wrong individual in the wrong space, and then having Peter come in with his team, it's just, uh, again, it was, it was distressed. Um, we had all sorts of problems from the physical plant to the golf course to golf operations to staff retention, all of those kinds of things. And Peter and his team, uh, with the things they do so well, just added an enormous amount. Our ability to, uh, to leverage their operational expertise, uh, get some framework around that, some discipline around that, some accountability around that. Uh, was everything that the members needed, in addition to all of those things that are so optically important when somebody new comes in, um, including, you know, a new uh, fleet of uh, golf carts, improvements to the golf course, which is the Holy Grail um, at Heathrow, um, retaining the right people um, from a staffing perspective, and letting go some of the people that really weren't 100% committed to what the club needed, nor what uh, concert and the members wanted out of the club. It's just been an enormously positive experience for the members. And I think as they reflect back, certainly being anxious with concert coming in, thinking, you know, what's Peter and team going to do? Are they going to keep it for a couple of years and then flip it? It's been exactly the opposite. The first thing they did was just inject the capital in the right areas uh, that the members could touch and feel. So the members responded to that. Um, And today, I would tell you, we're one of the best uh, clubs in this category in in Orlando, hands down. Yeah, I I actually have a number of friends who've been over there and just rave about uh, that that property. It's fantastic. What was the biggest difference in having... Uh, going from that developer-owned model and bringing in um, a concert or a golf operator like them? Well, the, the, the developer was, um, you know, their focus was on real estate, selling houses, selling portions of the land, whatever it might have been. Um, and the country club was just this bright, shiny object that <laughs> looked really pretty in the midst of all of that. But their number one priority was real estate. Yeah. And... Uh, so went the market, uh, so went their attention to the club. And when we went through the disastrous 2008, 2009 years, um, and things became tougher and tougher on that side of the line, um, our owner was not investing in the club. Um, he, know, he knew where he was headed. 
um, not having a large base of capital to work with. So, um, you know, the difference is Peter comes in and talks to uh, the membership, the leadership team at the club, and what are the big issues. They have great assessment tools in all the categories which uh, the club is responsible for, food and beverage, the golf operations, all the other amenities. So with, um, you know, the board and uh, their expertise, we're able to prioritize what needed to be done Mm -hmm. in sort of a rolling 18-month model um, and just started executing on that. So that execution compared to an absolute lack of attention from a real estate developer to somebody who owns and operates these kinds of country clubs was just enormously evident to the membership. So uh, that was huge. Sure. Now, Jody, you were going from a a member owned model uh, to, to bring in concert golf. So what was that transition like for you? Well, we were member owned. We had a board of governors that was an elected group that turned over every three years. And so that in of itself just presented a lot of issues. Um, The decision-making, one board would vote for something and it got turned down by the next. We had constant assessment. So capital was always a issue and an ongoing concern. So it was just very difficult to really accomplish anything that needed to get done. Um, we started looking at outside options out of pure necessity. I mean, we were losing members because of the assessments and poor decision-making. Or lack of cohesive decision making, I should say. It's just very difficult to run a business with four hundred voices, you know. Right. Sure, a lot of cooks <laughs> um, in the kitchen. <laughs> exactly. There were. And instead of being able to enjoy our country club, which is, you know, it's there for entertainment, it became a job because there were, you know, several side conversations going on and there was always a topic that we as a member run organization, we had to decide as a whole. So it just became more of a burden in every way and in every day than um, what the purpose of being at a country club was. Um, So when we started looking at that, there were a lot of very mixed emotions and reactions, a lot of excitement for opportunity, but also a lot of apprehension about losing the spirit of McGregor Downs, um, a smaller old, you know, we have several legacy members and families that have just grown up there and friends with the staff and everyone knows your name. And so I think that was the biggest concern of losing that feel. Mm -hmm. Um, But now that it's been a few years, there's hands down, there was no decision at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just so obvious and it has been fantastic in every way. It's, um, run efficiently, effectively with the right people on board. Russ, our general manager, does an amazing job. As I mentioned, um, our golf course is immaculate. And Concert came in immediately with a significant cash infusion and did everything that they needed to do from the beginning, mm-hmm. um, especially on the golf course and the other facilities, the tennis courts, our locker rooms, um, the whole, our, our terrace was redone, our outside, but our whole interior dining and banquet facility has been completely updated. Um, we were an older, our facility was older, and it is brand new. So our private event staff are booked 
all the time with beautiful weddings and you know we are the local place to come have a private event nice yeah well that puts you on on display for for the local community and i'm sure attracts more members your way as well uh, I, I, I like Absolutely. to ask both of you ladies uh what what was the project that you completed that really got the members buzzing or what was the biggest reaction from what concert did when they came into your property so let's start with megan um well, there were there were actually a couple. I I certainly think um, first and foremost is is the golf side. I mean, revitalizing that fleet of carts, um, taking care of some significant uh, turf um, issues on the golf course, uh, rebuilding a couple of the greens um, that had ten, tended to get smaller over time. Um, those kinds of things were deeply rewarded by the uh, the golf members, of which they're about. 400 um, uh, plus at Heathrow. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing that was done is because we have not in the same exact location as the golf course, but um, have a uh, a tennis facility, fitness and aquatic center and hundreds of thousands of dollars were dumped into that um, uh, physical plant. And that investment uh, paid enormous for that membership base. So those were very, very, Visible. The locker rooms were improved. Um, the roof was replaced. Um, the equipment was upgraded in the fitness center. The pool was uh, recoded. Um, all of those kinds of things just uh, made a huge difference, and were certainly viewed as from the member side as uh, you know, Peter, what he says he's going to do, what concert says they're going to do, they do it, they back it up, um, right. and you can see it. Nice, nice. How about for you, Jody? What were the big uh, buzz? factors when the concert came in and did some things? Was it the outdoor dining or some other things out there? Well, the number one is the golf course. I mean, they came right in. We redid all the tees, um, redid all the greens with Champion Bermuda, um, changed the design on three or four holes, moved some bunkers, moved some trees, um, just made extensive improvements. Um, We did get a whole new fleet of uh, gators for the maintenance crew. And oh, wow. so they have been able to, yeah, work much more effectively. There were some noise issues, ironically, um, it, and the upgraded equipment helped substantially with that, just with the town that we live in. We were having problems, and, and that eliminated a lot of problems. We also are situated on a beautiful lake, and we were paying for irrigation separately and not using that local resource. So Concert immediately built an extravagant pump house, which I've seen, and it's fantastic. So we can use all the lake water for our irrigation, which is saving a tremendous amount of money. Um, but I just can't say enough about the golf course because that, I mean, they came right, right in very swiftly with huge capital and made it happen. It's mm-hmm. followed very quickly by the, the food and beverage, the facilities, everything that I've already mm-hmm. mentioned. Yep which is a huge, substantial impact. Has that started to attract more of the families and women coming to the club out there in your community? Our club is booming with families. I mean, our average age has probably come down by 20 years. Wow. That's huge. <laughs> huge. Yeah. Yeah, it was huge. I mean, we have young legacy members, twenty, you know, mid-30s. I mean, we have a ton of families that are mid-30s with young children and just vibrant. And they're just creating, you know, the next level of membership because mm-hmm. the children's programs, the golf program, the our, our course has children playing all the time with 
specific times, not interfering with anyone, but the youth activity and the women's events are absolutely thriving. Wow. Megan, have Mm -hmm. you seen the same thing happen at your club as well? Yes, we really have. I think that the, uh, we have uh, waiting lists. I mean, certainly the waiting list bumped up. We're, we're, we're at full membership um, at Heathrow. Um, and the new folks that are coming in, they take full advantage of all the amenities that we have. And you see those, um, you know, the 30-something, the 40-something coming in with those families that we have a, uh, a booming junior golf program um, at Heathrow. Um, you see the kids over at the tennis courts, at the pool, um, and on the golf course, which just makes it great. I think in terms of, um, you know, women at the club, um, you know, that's, uh, Heathrow's, uh, you know, having been a member at a number of different clubs around the country, um, and then coming to Heathrow, I can remember in the early nineties, having brought a customer to Heathrow on Saturday morning to play golf for a tea time I reserved and was told we couldn't get on the course until noon, which was awkward, but, um, you know, we've come a long way since then. And, um, a lot of that is the culture that, uh, you know, concert promotes promotes um you know they take on the tough issues whether that's member issues or financial issues um you know there's they have a zero tolerance uh level for anything that's inappropriate at the club and that is clearly recognized in the environment in which we operate uh here in Orlando and uh like i said earlier it's 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 the best thing in town um, for this kind of club and people are recognizing that by coming and joining. So that's, it's all. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me today. Peter, one last question for you. If people want to find out more about concert golf and at least explore what you guys might be able to do for them, how do they reach out? Yeah, they can definitely go to our website, which is concertgolfpartners.com. But I would encourage people just to call me, right? My number is 949 949- Seven one five zero six zero two. I'm listed on the website, but I'm always talking to board members confidentially about what they're dealing with at their club. And if we can help them, great. If we can direct them to some other resources or have them talk to people like Megan and Jody about their experiences, we're just trying to help, right? We're just trying to educate clubs on how we can, you know, move them forward as, as a club. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a resource not only for this industry but for this show as well. And we appreciate all you do for the industry, Peter. Ladies, thanks so much for joining me. And we'll see you back here next time on another edition of Board Chats presented by Concert Golf Partners. Join us next month for another edition of Board Chats presented by Concert Golf Partners. That's going to do it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoy the 4th of July festivities. Get some fireworks in you. Take some time to relax. Hopefully you get a day off here after the big celebrations. I'll see you back here next week on Private Club Radio. And until then, here's to your membership success. Private Club Radio is brought to you by the Private Club Agency the premier marketing and consulting firm dedicated to helping clubs increase and retain their membership. Visit privateclubagency.com to learn more.